Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, welcome back to the show, guys. It's January the 19th. In today's episode, we ask the question, are Masters race teams good? Is Remco just a little baby? And what about some tour down under tech? Let's get into it. Can we just apologize to the world for that prologue? That was horrible. <laughs> Why do they do that? Because we suddenly thought the world tour was the NRS. I yeah. think is actually what it was. Oh, that's a typical, like, yeah. Very sorry to the rest of the world who were excited to get the world tour underway. And that's what you're dealing with. Uh, none of, you see almost every rider that crossed the finish lines just. I don't know whether this is where you want to take the chat, but like I've always kind of thought, I've been a little bit against time trials. I've always kind of liked the concept of, oh, let's do road bike TTs and, you know, sort of level the playing field and it's just going to be so much better. And then you see the guys on the start ramps with like a road bike and their time trial setups and I'm sorry but it just it just lost something. It did. It just – the sex was gone. The – the, the froth was gone and then they raced around a cycle path. Mm. I, I froth it way more. Oh. I love watching them on the road bike and then you're seeing all the little tweaks they make. It's way more relatable. I love it I from agree. the equipment point of view. I agree it's more relatable from an equipment point of view. But from a like product and just like pure, oh, wow, look at all this, like took so cool new tech. Yeah, lost it for me. Well, lost it for me when they rolled down the start ramp and they're on a th- the footpath and it's just and then the rain and it was those tiled things along the river and just horrible. We saw five riders crashed from my count. Five riders had a look at who crashed. They were all on Victoria courses. Interesting. Mm, Interesting. Conspiracy. The tinfoil hats on. Yeah. Yeah. So we starting. This comes back to other chats we've had around how. As a general, we think sometimes the equipment is, is becoming more level. Most of the stuff, if it's the frames, much of a muchness, if the wheels, much of a muchness, but tires are definitely not that. And I think you're starting to see the teams that are on the running Contis have a massive advantage. Um, so the Vittoria courses, by the way, still a very fast tire. The guy that won the TD, uh, Alberto Bediol, was on the Vittoria courses. So they're super fast. You go on bicycle rolling resistance, they're, they're actually the, the Vittoria course of tubeless are the fastest tire by like half a watt, I think. But in terms of grip, it's pretty clear they're not up with the, with the others. And, and also in terms of puncture resistance. So tires overall, the GP5000s, uh, for, for what are essentially the same speed in terms of rolling resistance, better puncture protection, better grip. And that's why you're seeing teams that can pick what tires they're on like UAE. 
have chosen to go the GP5000 I was going to say, like, pick what tyres they can... Because I, I actually think, like, if you're ever wondering, like, what's the performance advantage, have a look at what the Saudi or the Middle Eastern teams are doing because a lot of them, not a lot of them, most of them, don't really get sponsorships. They just buy the best because they're like, well, we want to... We want the best and that's why they've gone the Envy wheels and the Conti setups because that's mm-hmm. they've decided is the best. And unfortunately, they've gone to a Shimano group set. So read between the lines on that one. I don't know where to put this in. This just can be randomly plopped into the video. Mm-hmm. Chris was right about Cav. All right, you come here for <laughs> your inside knowledge. That's it. Okay, back to your previous part of the pod. The other thing that popped up, I was watching, I think it was a GCM video, did a review of the, the, the World Tour bikes and they were talking about the Yumbo Visma bike. Now they're on SRAM. Oh, I saw this. And they're on a, so they're on a pro, they're on a pro only cassette, which is a 10 to 30, which for some reason you can't buy. Mm. They don't, SRAM don't let you buy a 1030 cassette. Though, as far as I could see, you can buy a, a 1028 or a 1033. The 1030 is not publicly available. There's certain rules around things you can use that can't be prototypes they're still getting away with using stuff that you can't sell, which is kind of because you kind of like see SRAM or see the sport, whatever the product is on the, the thing on the world tour riders using it, but you can't actually buy that. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a smoke and mirrors. The only, yeah. the only kind of thought I had a little bit about it was aren't, aren't we all meant to be thinking SRAM are going to release a new axis this year? Yeah. So I don't know, potentially this is, this is one of the ratios from that. Mm. Hence it's pro only. Um, maybe yeah. it's maybe something along those lines. Could be a prototype job. My my kind of little bit of insider news on that was not to expect a big update mm-hmm. on this axis up, up axis change. That's mm. sort of what what I'm hearing is it's going to be more again towards the finding that gravel sort of scene rather than just an all out road group set. Because I don't know at this point for SRAM is it even worth them competing with Shimano like. As as a performance, hey, this performs better than Shimano because, like, everyone knows it's not going to be. Like, they've got, oh. like... But it does. For the average rider, it's just as good. It actually looks cooler to oh, a lot I of people. I totally disagree with that. What? Totally disagree with that. That tram get... chainsaw. Oh, no, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yo, yeah, it looks... Am I in the minority? No, to, like, the real pro... like. The real performance industrial design sort of thing prefer the Shimano. The average rider loves the SRAM. Yeah, I'm calling it. They love the SRAM. Oh, but then like a got, Factor uh, Ostro Vam with a SRAM red. No way over Shimano any day. But yeah. those hoods, they're doesn't like matter. no, don't even care. Doesn't matter. Wow. No. Okay. Right. I am totally out of the loop. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, fair enough. It's more. Fa- it's more fashionable. Like it's yeah. Yeah. Shimano is very industrial, black and white. Yeah. Rams like pops. Yeah. But it's got the bigger... Ch- anyway, all right. <laughs> seemingly, seemingly I'm well behind the lines. On oh, it. the other thing that surprised me when I was looking that up, because I was to go and research, I was like, oh, you can't buy a 1030 uh, cassette. That's weird. And when I'm bike bug, the ca- a new Shram red 12-speed cassette. Can I have a guess? <laughs> all right, go. So, Duro... 600 bucks. 650 Australian. For a new cassette, which I don't want to like every show just be going on and on about how expensive stuff is. But that was like, what, like $650 just for a cassette. Remember getting Ultegra ones for like $90? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. 
Okay. Well, not, not I had to comment yeah. on that one. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I will, go on. Go, well, the other thing I was going to say along the lines of this using pro only thing, really good ride media video interviewing Chris Froome's mechanic. And the mechanic, Chris Froome's like quite tall, so he's on probably a 58 or 56 centimeter Ostro Vam. And he's like, yeah, we easily get these on 6.8 kilos now. I'm like, how? You have like a size 52 factor Ostro Vam, sh- sh- full Shimano DI2, ceramic speed, black Name inks, it. and it's 7.4? Yep. And the mechanic's going, we're easily getting this under six point, uh, uh, to 6.8? Like, ha- how? It's impossible. I've got, I've got the look carbon tie pedals on there. Like, you can't get lighter pedals. I just, I don't know how this is happening. Like, I could titanium bolt it, but what? That's going to get me 100 grams maybe? Still not getting you like, under. Yeah. I don't know what they'd – and oh, that's why when he – because then the the the, um, the interviewer asked, like, oh, is there any tricks you're using? And he, he was like, oh, some of I can't say. Some I can't say. Mm. So I was like, like what was does it, that was mean? He, Are you one of the different layup sh- frames? Did he have or? a Shimano um, chain ring on it, like a Shimano uh, – No, they're on – well, they're on FSA crank sets. Was an FSA K Force, yeah. Oh, um, for the chain chain sets yeah, this right. year, because okay. they were nice. on rotor. Yeah, that, so they were on rotor, and even when they were on rotor, they were still getting them at yeah. race yeah. At race weight. I did the only other quick sort of pro only. Well, it's not pro only, but like one of the kind of things that floats a little bit under the radar with the Shimano twelve speed group set is so there is no fifty three thirty nine anymore. Well, that just the the standard no longer exists. Hmm? You, you didn't know that. No. Yeah, so you what can't you buy a 5339 um, front chainring on it. So your options are, oh. yep. So your options are basically everybody, consumers all get a mid compact, which is the 5236. I'm going to say, yep. yeah. No, so that's the that's what everyone gets. And then, but if you go into the Pro Peloton, they're all running 5440s, and I managed to get my hands on a 5440, and it's a game changer. It's but you can't buy this for love nor money. So it's essentially mm. like a it is kind of a pro only sort of sort of thing. But yeah, the standard no longer exists. Yeah. 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 Well that's because because now everyone just runs a thirty two cassette standard. Like when Jay was here, he was thirty two cassette and he's in the fifty four. Yep. And yeah, you don't really need I guess the fifty three is redundant now because the cassettes are so big. What else have you guys spotted at the tour down under? There's plenty of these new bike tech exciting sort of world tour videos popping up what have you spotted let us know and prologues yes or no we're both no speaking of new bikes remember back in the day aero bikes were coming and they all converged and they all looked the same and now we've gone full circle and aero bikes are aero bikes are dead i'm calling it wow aero bikes are dead and now everyone's just copying the sl7 right so you just go instead of going an aero bike you don't do that anymore you go your standard do it all frame and then you put your aero, narrow aero profile handlebars and you run your 50, 60 mil wheels and you're done with. But what we're seeing now is I just saw so many new bikes pop up and they all look the same, which is nothing new, but I just wanted to highlight it again. So I'm, I'll go through them here. New Orbea. Uh, you can see aero shaped handlebars. You've got your drop seat stays and it's a regular looking bike with your 50 mil wheels. The new, the Colnago VRS looks, to me, looks exactly this, literally looks identical. Next one, the Willy Air, uh, which you think is a bit overrated. The Willy Air. Uh, or that paint scheme, Chris. Have you seen the paint scheme? 
Um, same again, aero handlebars, drop seat stays, and a, and a normal-looking frame. Same again, This the Merida Sculptura looks the same. The BMC Team Machine looks the same. SOX SL7, same. The new look, fresh off the factory line, looks the same. And it's that's the bike now. If you want a good bike, if it looks like it has that silhouette, it's probably going to be good. And yeah, it's it's all we've we've gone full circle. I think the phrase is the cookie cutter bike. Yeah, it's just. I mean, that that probably is how I should have done that video about like what bikes to buy in twenty twenty three, which was literally what you just said. Like, if you see this silhouette coming out now, you're pretty much future proofed because that's all they're going to be pushing on us. You know that that dampening technology is all gone from from the back end. They've all decided that they've worked that out with the seat posts. But from a scientific point of view, it makes sense because if you had like if you had an AI bot continually refine a frame, it's going to converge on a single type of frame, and it seems like this is it. So this, if we look at this new look, that's <laughs> in a roundabout way. This is what we've. In 2023, we've ended up with so. Like I had to laugh at so Cannondale are being all thingy about um, GCN filming the new Super Six Evo, right? They're like not letting them film it, even though they're racing it, whatever. And I just, I just know we all know what it's going to look like. <laughs> they're like, why? It's not as if it's got some amazing new winged keel on it or something <laughs> that they don't want to sort of launch. We're like, we know what's going to look like, guys. Come on, I don't know, like. Yeah, it's not a newsflash, is it, that all bikes are looking the same. But are you guys seeing anything different? Is something coming across your table that is worth noting? Do let us know down in the comments. Okay, Jesse, you know, you know the uh, this this is the bit before we get cancelled, right? This is the bit before <laughs> before it's changing colour. You look like you're going white, Chris. Things start getting thrown at me, so <laughs> I, I am going to revert often to my notes on this because I want to make sure that I I don't make a complete dick of myself. But I do want to have a little chat about Masters race teams. And I feel like I'm in a position to do that because I'm a Masters rider and I do like racing my bike. For those of you who don't live in this part of the world, to, to race your bike, well, not even just to race your bike, to, to ride with some insurance, we, we join clubs here. And they're often like geographical things like Centennial Park, Sydney Uni, Manly, different suburbs, that sort of thing. And they, they have a club, okay? And it's the best way to get into the sport because, you know, there's a big group of people. Anyone can join. So the question I need to ask you, Jesse, are Masters race teams just another example of elitism in cycling or is it harmless fun? Because putting aside who can join the teams, right, I just want to break it initially down to like the racing, what this does to the racing. Because what I kind of thought was the best part of Masters racing was the every man for himself nature of this racing because you know teams and that sort of stuff is something that would happen at an elite level at a junior level at a world tour level but you know a master's rider is essentially just someone looking after their own skin they've gone and bought their own bikes they probably paid their own way to go to whatever this race is they paid their own entry fee why do i then want to be a part of this quasi team thing when the joy of this race is surely the every man's for himself attitude of it. No, but we're in a team sport. So it's awkward sometimes if there's only one or two teams, but in my opinion, there should you rock up to a Masters race, there should be 12 Masters race teams on the start line all competing against each other. Like we see that in other sports. If you go play soccer, 
Okay, maybe it's a club, but you're a team. You're on a team and you compete against other teams in a tournament. And that I think that should be the same in the Masters stuff. Um, especially at like a, a higher Masters level. Obviously, a club race, maybe not. But um, further up than that, it's more fun doing it in a team. So, But we already have that. Like we already have a club. We already have a group that we're a part of. I don't understand why we then have to sort of sort of split it again into this other form of like you know how big clubs are clubs are huge so the problem is clubs are huge so if you try to organize anything in a club it's gonna it's destined to fail because it's too it's first it's too broad a type of rider as you said like anyone can join a club so you've got this huge range of riders huge range of age groups different commitments to racing so if you ran like uh so for example back at sydney uni they had the racing at su velo thing which they opened up to anyone and you had like a hundred random people in there and they couldn't organize anything because it's it's too it's too big so the solution to that is you run you start one of these race teams and then you only have your 10 or 15 riders and it's easy to organize everyone's on the same wavelength and you get a much more enjoyable outcome mm. out of it and you know for one or two people to organize it's much you get a much more handle on it okay i i will i will give you the logistics yes very much i, I will i will Admit that is definitely a thing. Uh, can I say? Yeah. I just don't know why they have sponsors. Yeah. Why Why does that need... Okay. <laughs> this this yeah. gets to my second point, all right. right? This gets to my second point. It's like what, why, these, why the Masters race teams have to look like quasi-professional race teams. I mean, sure, go all buy the same kit or, or get a custom kit. Like I don't understand why it has to be this serious quasi professional looking thing where you've got like a premium i don't know like a, a premium motor vehicle brand sponsoring you it's like you, these these people well that is this new team that's popped up is sponsored by our, our yeah. audi one of the dealerships and I, okay okay i'm getting into it now apologies apologies just hit me with comments whatever okay You've got this Audi sponsorship, but then half or three quarters of the guys are probably on S Works and Pinarello Dogmas anyway, and it just it just the look of it then becomes this kind of super elitist, like look how much brand and cash we have type thing. Just I'd love to disagree, I but I do agree. I mean, I I disagree from the the, the fact that the you know these teams pop up. I think is fantastic because I like if I was. Like I might be in a couple of years, I will be above thirty, and if I want to go and be a part of a team, the fact that they exist is fantastic. So I'm all for it. But I, in terms of the sponsorship thing, I I don't understand why you know twelve guys that work full time need to have you know a sponsorship. What well, I, I I don't I don't know. So I don't get again, it. I don't I don't want to say that this is like me having a go at like mates racing bikes. I think that's a, that is like at the absolute core of our sport. It's fantastic. I love that concept. And okay, you, yeah, you you can call me a massive contradiction for this, and you probably should. But then why these particular people need to then make it out like their social media is like they're a quasi semi-professional athlete. You know, like I find that his, yeah. his, here is a a perfectly happy middle-aged man who's a woman who's healthy and enjoying their life. Like use social media for all its wonders and share with your family who live around the world. <laughs> don't You don't need to like be brand conscious on your social media. Yes, so, you're allowed to say that. That's basically me. 
I was going to say, Chris, uh, reality check. <laughs> You've done that <laughs> and then doubled down about 10 times. <laughs> so I don't know if you're in a position to uh, comment. But the thing is, right, the average like middle-aged person doesn't really use social media. So, uh, you know, they might be on there, but they don't really po- like this massive generalization, but they don't really post. And so if you have a hobby and and then you start posting, like, it kind of gives you something to post about. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of the same. Pretty much all my social media is just cycling. I do other things, <laughs> but I don't really post it because it's I'm just posting about my hobby. So from that sense, uh, I kind of get on face value. You're like, it looks a bit weird because it's like, well, like you're not a professional athlete, but if that's just a if that's just a hobbyist sort of thing, just like you posting, you know, about bikes, then you know, I, it's just more more a more engaged. Uh, athlete because it's an athlete like more engaged athlete and mm. yeah and if you whether you've got a hundred followers or if you've got you know a hundred thousand there's still uh an enjoyment in sharing that i'd say oh, i obviously sometimes it felt like hamstrung and stuff by like, by like the things that i put up and all that kind of thing because of brands and etc and i'm like guys you don't need to do that like don't 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 you don't have to have that as part of your social media oh, i see like, you're like on another you're like playing chess with it you're kind of like Two steps ahead. You don't need to do and like, this. Yeah, but the average person's just posting stuff of their bikes. It's because they just want to post photos of oh, their right riding. Right. There's no... I think you're applying like another layer <laughs> of analysis, which is no, most people aren't getting to. You know, like they, uh, the average... I don't think the average person's just putting a you know an update of what they're doing riding-wise. They're just doing it because they want to. Like... Okay, I'll play devil's advocate on that one. Right. I reckon there is a potential of person who would take a photo of their new giant TCR down at uh, Helensburg, beautiful picture of it, tag giant Australia in it and their little part of them would be like, oh, giant Australia might see this and reach out to me and I might, you know, free. No, disagree. I reckon there's a chance. I'm so cynical. What I'm saying is like they might think, oh, it'd be cool if giant reposted it. And that's where it ends. Okay. I think you're maybe projecting your own Sad. experience in yes. the industry onto everyone else. <laughs> ultimately, I was just hoping people don't don't try and waste your time doing the crap that I. I think the still that goes unanswered there is you know a master like why does a masters race team need financial sponsors? I don't I, I don't know mm. what are they paying for. What do they the, get? I don't yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think I've managed to come away from that relatively unscathed. Well, the other thing that you kind of hinted on is how do you actually get on these teams? That's the other annoying thing is like the good thing about the clubs is you, anyone can just join. You rock up to the club rides and you, you know, and you're kind of in and you just, that's it. And you can, the, the club racing, you kind of just rock up to. I know one of the rationales for doing it. One of the rationales for doing it for a club is that when when a club starts and get starts to get good riders, so let's say Jesse Coyle and two of his mates join, and they're only you know Hubbards at the very beginning, but they they become pretty good riders. In fact, they become elite riders, and they're in this club. And there'll be a point when Jesse looks around and says, "Well, I can't stay at this club because um, Ranwick Ranwick have a race team." I'm going to go and leave this club to go to that club because they have a race team. And, and therefore I do – I kind of get the rationale behind, right, well, we need to have a race team so we can keep these riders. But having 
build and invent an experience where we've tried to build a race team, you, you can't always just leap to the next level that your best rider becomes. Like when Jay was good enough to become world tour, like I didn't, we didn't turn to each other and go, well, looks like we're getting a world tour license mm. then, Jesse. Like it doesn't work that way. There's always going to be a level up. So mm. maybe, maybe that's one of the, the theories behind it. Righto, guys, let us know your thoughts, Masters Race Team. And the next Masters Race that I'm in and someone's up the road and you're a teammate of them, you can turn to me and say, Chris, it's Team Tactics, <laughs> not chasing him. All right, let us know your thoughts. I love seeing this pop up. Good old YouTube banter. Mm. Uh, video got uploaded a couple of days ago by Artem Sherbina. He was out in a training ride in Europe somewhere. Good Remco comes past him. So he hops on the, he hops on the wheel going up a climb. And you get the classic, I'll play the section here, you get the classic look back. So Remco comes past him, old mate's doing like between 380, 400 watts holding the wheel. And Remco starts looking behind. Mm. Oh, you know, the old Chris has done this before in Centennial Park. Mm. You know, riding along, look behind. And then after about a few minutes, Remco cracks the shits, turns around and he's waving him off the wheel. <laughs> the old Richie Port, get off my wheel. Um, and... Yeah, and, and so Artemy filming a video drops back. But this video blew up. It's it's on a half a million views already. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Um uh Durin Rider did a reaction video to it saying, uh, Remco should toughen up. You're a pro, let people sit on your wheel, stop getting butt hurt, that some you can't drop someone, blah, blah, blah. What do you reckon? I would love to sit here and say and agree with Durin Rider. I don't think I've ever said that in my life. Um that <laughs> Yeah, he should toughen up, you know, he's a pro, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I often use this analogy of like if, if Elizabeth is running home from work, like some random dude <laughs> would just run like two metres behind her and be like, hi, I'm just here. Like, no, fuck off. Like, get off my wheel, all right? So I, I, do, I do get it. Um, I, I will say this though, like Remco, what you do in this circumstance Clean your nose, mate. Like that's – it works every time. Just do a few little nose clear outs and that will remove your uh, mm -hmm. unwanted uh, unwanted passenger. If you're in a group, fair play, sit on, sit on the back, all good. If you're randomly going up behind a rider, don't sit on. If you're going to do it, I reckon you, the courtesy is you've got to go up and just maybe a little wave or – you know, if they're in an effort, just going to sit on and then they'll probably just go, yeah, and, and get on. It's super weird just to creep up behind someone and just be that like annoying pest. So totally, uh, I'm with I'm with Remco, but, but he's a professional athlete. You can't just like blow up like a little 12-year-old. Mm. Like if someone's really annoying you, firstly, you're just going to have to deal with it because it's quite common, unfortunately. But if you do really want to go do your efforts without someone sitting on, you're just going to have to like say something. Like just be like, oh, do you mind dropping off? Like... As a professional, as, as the freaking world champion, it's yeah. so bad just to be blowing up. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, like the, the very limited experience we have of this, like it is, it's different circumstances, different, different things. Like the, the one thing that I get annoyed at when, when people do it is if it's in a circumstance where it is quite busy, there's lots of other cyclists around, what can tend to happen is you have someone sit on your wheel, then another person behind them and another person behind them, another person behind them, and all of a sudden you've got this peloton behind you. Trust <laughs> yeah. me, this happens, guys. Yeah. You have this peloton behind you and it looks like you're the dickhead who's like organised this sort of peloton that's riding in the middle of the day in Centennial Park and it's a bad look and I get messages about it. I used to get it from the team a lot as well. 
So there's there's that, and the the other one is it depends on what effort you're doing. Like I've done I've done 30, 30 second efforts, thirty on thirty offs, and and a guy's been like, "Can I sit on your wheel?" I'm like, "No, no, not <laughs> you're gonna fucking run up the back of me when I go into my idea. off period." So okay. yeah, but if it's like riding endurance or tempo, then yeah, I tend to have no problems. But professional cyclists and like. Remco, mate, you're in the world champs. <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with this this year. Like, yeah, anyway. The other one, it's weird. If you're in it, the other just thing, if you're going onto the back of a group or a couple of mates riding, like your dad, just introduce yourself or just a quick hey. We've had a few times, like, we go up like, right up north, like three or four of us, and then someone just sort of joins in and they haven't, like, even acknowledged that you're there. Mm. It's almost like you're invisible. You're like, that's fucking weird. Just yeah. say hello. Like, good morning. Hey, I'm just going to sit on. Yeah, no worries. Like, you don't even have to have a chat if you don't want, but don't just creep up and be <laughs> dead silent. It's really weird. But, uh, yeah, fair play to him. He's got a million views out of it, or half a million. Half Maybe a million. this is what we should be at. This is how we blow <laughs> the channel up. Go stalk some pros and get them pissed off at us. Uh, anyway, guys, let us know your thoughts. Uh, Remco, should he have just shut up or ride or blow up? <laughs> Staying on YouTube, do you ever watch those bike build ASMR videos? I'm obsessed. I can't do it. What? Wow. Really? Why? <laughs> Why? Like, I just sit there, I skip to the bit right at the end where it's built. What? I'm like, I don't need to just, I didn't need to see the headset being cut. Maybe I'm, I, I think you're in the minority because these things get views, like big views. There was one DSM building a Scott, the new Scott foil. It is, I think it's the process, because the bikes are so complicated, I think it's the process of how they get built I find interesting. And I think that's it. And the sound is quite good, the clicks of the torque wrenches and stuff. So there's no, you're not viewing it from a, oh, that's interesting, that's how I'll do it. It's just purely like... There is probably a bit of it, because I do some of my own mechanics, there would be a bit of a a learning element, but it's like pure entertainment. Interesting. (laughs) I just get nothing. But you're dead right. Like there's that channel that does the dream build stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah, like massive, massive views. Like Mm. people just watching and watching this stuff. But I'll click them straight away too. SL7 build 15 minutes long. Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) I'm in. I'm watching. I wonder like whether it's actually a better bike review in the sense that like this is – this is the piecing together of this bike. Obviously, it's going to have lots of shots of the frame really close up and the bottom bracket and how this kind of parts through here. I wonder if people are getting that kind of like quality thing out of it. I don't, mm. I don't know. I think there's an element of that. It does build an appreciation for the bike. Yeah. Like even after that Scott Foil one. You know, I was frothing on Scott Foil to mm. you about a month ago. Mm. It's probably because I watched that video. So you're frothing Scott Foils, frothing a few different things. Is there anything... Is there any kind of component thing that's 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 doing it for you at the moment? As much as I hate to admit it, the road one by oh really, it really does it for me. I'm I'm so t- if I didn't have to run the SRAM with it, I'd probably I'd do it. I reckon it'd work for me. Uh, Don't you reckon? Yes, yes, it could potentially work for you, but like the aesthetic of it. No, you like that. That's that's the ma- that's the only reason why I do it. I think it looks All right. sick. Have you seen Have you seen Tyler the vegan cyclist's video of his bike? No. Go and watch that, because as much as I love, 
other and his content and all the rest of it, where he lives is very hilly and he's running a one by. And he, he has basically a one-to-one ratio on his aero road. I think that's right. Correct aero. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yep. And so the, he's got this massive dinner plate at the back. But it's not that hilly in Sydney. I reckon I could get away with, with, a, with a 54 because I've got to run 54 now. I can't run 53. Mm. And a, a 32 at the back. Yes, you can get half racked it now. Yeah. What race? <laughs> like, if I'm in a race where I'm actually, no, it'd screw me for all the fondos, yep. the snowy classics and stuff. I'd yep. be absolutely screwed. No, okay, I, I need to get a second. So what I need to get is a second bike yep. and set it up one by and just use it for crits. Crit dog. Yep. Yeah, you need a crit dog. Bike. Yeah, I need a crit bike. 100%. All right, yep. speak to the wife. Yep. No, I think I, I can I can see that working for you definitely with eighty mil wheels. That's <laughs> the other thing I've, I've never had. I've never owned or used a set of eighty mil wheels. We had there was a set of visions laying around yeah. when we had the team. I don't think anyone ever set them up. No. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, so crit bike one by eighty mil wheels. Yep. No, I, I could see you on that. No, that that could work, that works for me. Thirty centimeter wide bars. Uh, yep. So guys, comment below, but but do it with a. So what we need is a dream build video. Of someone setting up a one by for Jesse. That's that's what we need. Um, any brand doesn't really matter at this point, but that's what we want to see below. Because if he sees that video, he'll he'll be done. He'll be sold. <laughs> I'm interested in your thoughts on like travel travel coaching camps. This this type of thing because I've seen it come across. I've been sent a few things recently. I'll I'll be honest, but they look. Terrible. Like I don't know why anyone would do that. So now we've done one in the past, which I, I kind of thought had a point of difference because it had a race team with it and added a different sort of like element to it. But okay, as a coach, what do you think? Are you are you seeing? Uh, I also find them a bit cringe, but I think it's like a whole thing that could be done better. I reckon. Like we did one back in 2018. It was pretty good. Like. As far as camps go, I think we got it right, and the feedback was good. But I still think there's a huge there's a huge area for improvement there. And this is the thing I don't get with with a camp, right? What is it? Mm. Because there's like most a lot of the camps are run by coaching businesses. So there's like coaching camps, then there's like the touring camps by the touring companies. And then now I'm kind of thinking like, because I would want to run another one, considering, but I'm like, what do people want out of a camp? Because to me, the idea of running like rides where you stop like 20 times and you're out for six hours and you're slopping around, to me, I'm just like, no, not interested. So it's my idea of hell. (laughs) It it literally is, right? So you want to have it, but if you don't do that, it's almost, it's more of kind of like a training camp, Mm. like would people want to and pay to go to a training camp almost as if they were on a team? Like, cause that's where my head goes with it because I just find the other stuff where it's kind of like a camp and then it's, you know, I'll put my hand up. We did a bit of this. Like we did some skills stuff, like some sending work, which people appreciate. But at the end of the day, it's kind of this, this like Jack of all trades camp. And it, uh, personally, I don't really wouldn't be interested in doing that anymore. I'm more interested in like, if you ran a training camp, would mm. people want that? But then it's like so many different. That's well, there's so many different abilities of riders. How do you run a training camp? 
That's the biggest problem. That's I, that's the do people really want to ride problem. that hard? Like know. if you've got if you've got fifteen people and you know three or four of them are essentially cat one riders, and then there's you know this other mixed sort of area, and and like you you said, like you're probably putting them in a terrain which is going to be very kind of selective because it's going to be something interesting, like some hills, some mountains, some you know mountain passes and things like that. So then you got the poor like. Not Paul, but like the the guys who are there for a real hard session, probably waiting sort of twenty minutes at the top of every climb mm. for for everyone else. So, yeah, I mean, my take on it is you would would obviously trying to get as as a similar group of skills as as possible. But what I reckon people get out of it the most is like some of the the rolling turns, pace liney type stuff, the stuff that they don't experience in their own normal rides that kind of take them out of their comfort zone. We did like we did on that Rafa ride yeah. down to Cornell that time and I, people had never ro- ro- rolled and mm. a turn before. And there was they were like, "Whoa, this is like <laughs> fun." I feel yeah. I feel like that would be the the kind of mindset to it is to try and take people out of their comfort zones but do it in an environment that's got some sort of leadership or some direction around it because I think, you know, Groups of mates can go away and try this stuff, but ultimately they'll sort of fall down because there won't be any direction behind it. Yeah, like a club would run. Oh, yep. a club, quite a few clubs run them, and then they're just it's just like herding sheep, yep. herding cats or whatever it is, because it's just all yeah. But I think it's, it's a really up. good question because it's like, what do what do people expect to get out of it? Do you know, mm-hmm. like how long for as well? I think ours was three days. Right, so pretty condensed in. I, I personally don't. Th- well, the cost is a factor, but I don't think three days is long enough. Mm. Especially if you're looking at it, doing more of like a training camp. I, I don't think three days is enough. It's it's not long enough to really form that like that because me- you want a memory out of it. Three days, you're not really. It's not long enough to get that memory. Or it really feels like an experience. So that the length of the camp is still a, an unsure. And the other thing I ran into was when you. Because the ride, you can only ride for so long in a day. So if everyone's there, all they're there for is to ride for. But you only really, physiologically, you only really want to do rides that are sort of three to maybe four and a half hours. Anything over that, it's just too fatiguing, right? But then, like, you almost feel like you've got to fill up the rest of the day because as people have paid to come to this camp. So how do you deal with all the excess time in the day where people, you know, as, as someone who's putting the camp on, you're like, oh, people might not feel like they're getting good value because they're only doing four hours riding in the day. So you're dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of... They're super factors. common though. Yeah. Like oh, they're very... Are they common? Yes. Yes. Maybe they're going on where I don't so, see. So um, I know of three other coaching... What are you... What were coaching... Businesses. Businesses who, yep. who run them in the Sydney region and did them before the Barrel Classic. I, I do know that for a fact. They went right. down to sort of the... This is three separate places, did it? Mm-hmm. Um, before the Barrel Classic, they did them. I think six weeks beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not they're not cheap, but then again, you know, you're getting accommodation and all the rest of it. Neither so is organising your yeah, own. Exactly. Yeah, so that's that, that is yeah. where it is. But no, they're they're very common. They're very popular. Um, the the thing that frightens me about it is sort of the looking after litigious aspect of it. Like I don't know how that works. Like someone just rides off the road. Like you know, as Jesse Coyle, I don't, don't want to go. Well, you need insurance, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I, I just the reason I wanted to I was my idea to, to bring it up is because I feel like that's a whole thing that could be f- really awesome and currently is a bit slop. 
to be honest. I look at a lot of the... I didn't know there were that many. I haven't seen that many. But the ones I have seen, I go, oh, you know, people really interested in that. I just think it could be done so much better. So mm. do us a favor. Let us know what, what, yeah, what are your thoughts on all of that? Because I'm very curious what people are actually interested in. So Vegan used to run them. He used to run them in Yosemite. Uh, he did... Uh, rides out there and he got huge numbers he got really quite big numbers out of them but he stopped doing them and it was it was purely due due to that thing you said where they'd do the ride and he they were doing quite long rides like four or five hour rides but it was in then after that that the clients as such were okay well, what do we do now mm-hmm. and he's like well chill like <laughs> sort of say. and yeah it became like well you know you've got to have something organized for the afternoon yeah. type stuff so yeah i think again i think it just comes down to what are the goalposts you're just doing fluff that you don't really want to do but you're kind of doing because yeah people really want to go to some group activity after like oh. sounds like a corporate activation <laughs> God. Yeah. anyway like you said jesse let us know like what what do you expect from a coaching camp and finally, we do have some sad news. Uh, Myron Love, a member of the cycling community here in Sydney, passed away in a plane crash in Nepal. Jesse and I would just like to send our best to his friends and his family. Thank you very much, guys. We will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 